0: Hello and welcome to the U.S. Revolution 2, the sequel, uh, special live stream. We got uh, a fairly full panel here today. Let's go straight over to Salt Lake City. Our Salt Lake City correspondent, Duchess Varnelia Sulla-Felix. How's it going?
1: Um, yeah, I'm okay. Um, I am I'm a little amped up. Um, we had protests here last night, but they respected curfew because the National Guard was out in force. Um, as of yesterday afternoon, when there was no one downtown, they reinstated curfew um, after calling it off uh, before anything even happened, and then they brought out armed vehicles—I mean, armored vehicles. Um, but there was no violence last night. The protests led by the Party for Socialism and Liberation here—they left according to curfew rules because the local community had asked them to do so. So. Um, Salt Lake, which saw, you know, violence on Saturday. And I was on the police scanners with my partner here, you know, when that happened. Um, was that you playing, like, fuck the police on the police scanners? <laughs> it was us. It was actually her posting to her activist friends, like, where to avoid and how to get out of the situation before they do their pincer move, um, which, you know, and uh, and arrest all the remaining activists. Um, police here in Salt Lake are actually fairly disciplined, um, and so they tend to they tend to let people disperse in a certain way. But if you do not kind of follow a certain order for that, you will get caught up in the sting at the end, and those can often get hairy. Um, uh, so you know that's what we were doing on on um, the first night. uh, On Sunday night, we did nothing here. Lockdown was hard, and the community in general um, asked people to respect it, um, and that included the activists. And then on Monday, they went back out with a protest led by the PSL. Tonight, there is a protest that's armed at the Capitol. Um, What, like um, a right-wing armed militia? No, I mean it's 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 a left wing protest, but it, it's invited all the open carry people to peacefully protest. Um, so hell. that's tonight yeah. in Salt Lake. Yeah, I mean probably nothing will happen, but yes, there's an armed pro- an armed protest. I don't know the group that's running yeah. it, but it's open carry.
0: That shit is getting fucking even more real when a, a you know a famously. A nice state to the black man, like for like Utah, is doing oh open carry. <laughs> oh my god! Right over to Esri. Sorry, Derek, I muted you there. Um, uh, Esri, right. where are you? You're packing boxes.
1: You I'm packing boxes. On ref-
0: didn't I know. open. Didn't turn on your phone today. Look, I think it's going to be a shock to you, but there seems to be some kind of a revolution going on. You want to get yeah. fucking clued in?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, going in between my uh. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm writing an encyclopedia, and I was just too busy in my armchair writing an inside ency- No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm packing boxes. I'm moving. I'm getting some serious riot FOMO. Um, been like I haven't watched the news in a long time, but I've been all about Unicorn Riot recently. It's very interesting. Um, if you haven't seen Unicorn Riot, it's just a, you know, I don't know where you've been, but it's just a you know, a live stream <laughs> of what's on. Like it's it's a a live stream in the Minneapolis riot. Um, it's been going for a few days now. And it's been an invaluable source of information just to like see what's going on on the ground. Um, that's the thing that I love social media for. And so while I've been packing, I've been, you know, I've had it on in the background, let's say. And it's it's certainly made for an interesting uh, an interesting feeling. <laughs> Um, but no, seriously though, I've been in even, I mean, I'm happy that I'm moving, but I'm in even better spirits considering, um, how much momentum there is. Now, the one thing that might've put our, some damper on our spirits is something that we'll talk about later. Um, but I think you should move on. <laughs> I,
0: I hear you. Okay. Now let's go up all the way. Uh, we'll go. Well, let's welcome back. We should have done first. Let's welcome back. A long time. Last time we're talking to Amog, I was talking to Mog was at the very start of the TSSI, which oh. is a long time a series ago. That's that seems right. like a that seems like a long time ago. Amog was dead right. He jumped off. He said, "Fuck this! I'm getting <laughs> out of here." After one episode, I think never a wiser decision was made. <laughs> Amog, um, we've done 44 fucking episodes of Revolutionary Strategy, 23 episodes of TSSI, and we're about fucking 900 through the, the broom air. You did very well to eject yourself from this <laughs> skullduggery when you did.
3: Yeah, no, I did. I did. It was uh, It was a bit... <laughs> uh, I don't want to be ashamed for that decision here, but you know, I'm, glad be, I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm afraid I'm mainly, mainly here to listen... Um, I don't. i have been because of lockdown and various other things. I'm kind of uh, shielded from all the things that are going on, and I'm just trying to trying to get a sense of what the hell's happened in the last week or so. Well,
0: that's cool. We're, we're, sorry, Derek. Sorry, or who who's uh, going to oh, that's, that's,
2: that's me, Ezra. I, I just wanted to ask, where are you right now, Moog?
3: Oh, I'm in uh, I'm in the greater DC area. I'm in uh, Virginia, the Virginia suburb um but uh, far enough from virtually anything such that it doesn't really it doesn't really matter um i'm in mm-hmm. i'm in kind of the an upper the sort of the sort of uh, sub suburban bubble through which nothing gets through yet um right you know? so it's, see i'm
2: i'm in a parallel part of the new york city metro area but there have been highway shutdowns over here
3: i see um yeah i mean it's it- sort of sorry go ahead
0: no, I was just going to say that, it, 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 you know, if I was in America, I'd be so sorted right now because, you know, I've watched uh, ten, 10 seasons of The Walking Dead, so I know exactly what <laughs> to do when the highways get shut down.
2: Oh, yeah? Sorry now, for interrupting usually, you, um, Amog.
0: Usually, usually when people treat <laughs> out,
2: people that normally treat out The Walking Dead during protest situations think of uh, the writers as zombies or something, so... Uh, what? maybe let's just let a Moog finish the the arc of yeah, what they're sorry. going for.
3: Oh, I was just, no, I was just going to say that, um, I'm, uh, the the house that I'm living at is far enough from, from highways. It's sort of, it's not, not in a rural part of town, but it's kind of, you know, in, in parts of Virginia, the, the roads, even ordinary roads are pretty long and you can, you can often be far away from it's, It can take you about an hour to get to a highway. Um, you know, um, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a village or a small town, but still, it sort of has a certain kind of secluded feel. Um, I guess this is why people, you know, <laughs> flighted. This is where people went after the after the whole white flight thing. Um, so, <laughs> getting a sense of what it's like to be in a cocoon. Um, yeah, no. So I'm so I'm mostly just going to try to take some stuff in from people who are closer to the action.
0: Well, I'm close to it here, you know, in London, losing my losing my fucking rag with everybody on Twitter. Right. Now we go all the way to, you know, the the this, you know, that the heart of the empire. We go to Canada. That's that's where it's going. That's where it's shifting. <laughs> Kyle, how's it going?
4: Uh well, it is it is an interesting time we're in. Um things in Calgary are pretty muted. Uh there's been some small solidarity protests. There's been some attempts to like raise consciousness about how, you know, racism in Canada is real, uh, in, in, in this uh, city, uh, out East, things are a little bit more, uh, intense. Um, there's been some more protests. It's kind of getting into the news, the CBC news discourse that, you know, um, this is actually a serious issue in Canada as well. Um, and that, like, we need to seriously consider, like, there, there have been people on the CBC News talking about defunding the police um, here uh, because of, you know, very high and disproportionate levels of violence against uh, racialized communities, uh, and especially black people in uh, Toronto. Um, now, uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, was asked, I believe, by the CBC News uh, today what he thought of what Trump was doing, and he just sat there for 20 seconds of silence and then sort of sighed, cleared his throat, and then made an evasive non-answer. Um, so that's, 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 yeah, it was, uh, you know, Obama- real, real strong.
0: Obama would be proud.
4: Obama would be proud. <sighs> hasn't obama been slightly more outspoken about that or than that i i think he
0: said something about it, like a pell grant for for people who have like uh a de, de, uh, a black business in a deprived area i think was there something like that for people under 25 who've been doing it for seven years and who are from the local neighborhoods.
4: well Anyway, um, I am joking. uh, I mean, obviously, like Trudeau uh, is trying to lie low. Um, I'm really interested to see if he's going to uh, repeat the decisions he made when Trump was first elected uh, and uh, refuse uh, refugees from America. I I, I seriously hope he reconsiders that decision uh, because it it seems like an imminent problem, uh, even more so than it has been. Uh, And, uh, you know, I knew a lot of draft dodgers um, in B.C. when I was uh, younger, uh, who had who had left because of the Vietnam War and fled to the rural parts of British Columbia um, and. I don't know. I hope there's people can find some refuge here, if that's even possible. Um, I was on a stream. Uh, I was actually I was playing playing a game last night uh, with a friend from Richmond, Virginia, and I could hear gunshots and screaming and screeching tires and stuff from uh, his end of the mic. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's real. It's real. You weren't playing Grand Theft Auto again, though, were you? <laughs> no, no, what, no. About,
2: what about tonight? We riot. I I,
4: I yeah. was not playing tonight. We riot, although we really should have been. We were playing a tabletop RPG, um, so. Well,
0: I, I have something to. I have something shameful to admit, people. That, you know, as an Irish person, I don't know if you know this, but the first, like, pretty much, they reckon the first police force ever was. wasn't in London, the Metropolitan Police, it was actually by the same guy, Robert Peel, the Peelers, the Bobbies, he set up in Ireland because when they were fighting Napoleon in the 1820s, they didn't have any troops to send over to quell the Irish and the peasant revolts that were going on at the time. So he had a bright idea to set up what he called the guardians of the peace. I only learned this today. The guardians of the peace. And, you know, in Ireland, I don't know if people know, but like the cops. To the uh, are called guards okay and they're called like the actual the actual official name for the cops is a uh, guarda shiokana which means in irish the guardians of the fucking police of the peace like i fucking never knew that it's an actual british colonial term it's the original police force that's fuck so i'm apologizing to all my american Comrades, sorry about instigating all the violence that's going on yeah, over there. I just Thanks thought lot, I should Tom. let you... I should get that we out we, of the way. We, we, so,
2: we would have never had slave Irish patrols if it wasn't for Tom. Yeah, I was about Come to say, there
1: are the a lot of cops are uh, Irish in New York. And
0: yeah... Um, they are. They're all fucking Irish in New York. They're
1: fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, as as, as Esri says, there would have been slave patrols anyway, probably. But, you know, the Irish didn't help
2: um your apology tom personally i mean oh
0: okay let's kick this off with some actual fucking politics then um okay uh i I, i'm gonna start off i think at the moment like this whole thing is kind of amazing to me that it's got to this far that i think there could have been some police reform has got to the stage where you're talking about you know what seems to be a complete breakdown in society in the america verging
2: on revolution um i don't know I what is it about the bourgeoisie one. that they're yeah. so uh, can we comment on the setup <laughs> yeah
1: the verging on revolution is okay okay yeah comment on the setup verging yeah. but like
0: you know you said it felt similar the last time we talked eric you said it felt similar to egypt when you were there um yeah, and
1: that was i mean like- so
0: like i'm not saying that
1: yeah, I mean the Arab Spring it wasn't really a revolution, though. I mean, like they asked nicely for the military Wait, to stand down.
2: What, what do we mean it was by a failed revolution? revolution, Derek? Because because there were there were you know popular like regime changes. There wasn't like a change in the mode of production, but there were you know some by common standards. You know, talking about like changes. They had an election,
1: in, and they they had a, they had a normal bourgeois election, and they voted in Egypt. In, yeah. Yeah. And they voted in a fairly incompetent party that was then couped.
2: Right, but if you talk about the broader Arab Spring, there were, you know,
1: there were. Tunisia is literally the Revolution. only positive example you can give me. And even yeah. in Asia- okay, let's not get into the Arab. Yeah. Let's not get into the.
0: Let's not get into fucking Arab Spring. It's fucking ten years ago. Let's talk about what's going on now. How yeah. is it? that like what is right. what is what is started with for police reform okay uh the bourgeois state in america is unable to deal with that up to the stage where we're actually talking about whether it's an a correct assessment or not history will will see but like where it is a what i, I would say a, at least a kind of a proto revolutionary event
2: so re- it's a revolt in a lot of places like there's yeah. there's the open revolt like that's you know, with no exaggeration, I feel like that's you know significant in itself. It's, it's...
1: a peasant revolt without peasants.
2: Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually serious because, like, you're making a historical analogy. Maybe draw yeah, it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, like it's a revolt. I mean, it's started as a riot, and it's becoming an increasing revolt, but it has no demands, no program, no organizations. And the pressure for those things to exist are already tearing a lot of the social fabric and activist communities and in the, like apart, actually. And and so there's no way like everyone's coalesced to get the cost, but no one's coalesced to get for what they want. And what's going to make it harder is like we it looks like we're going to get some reforms from this i mean you got a bipartisan let's defund military equipment to police finally um movement in the in in dc but it's not enough and it won't be enough like like it's not just the military equipment i mean yeah it would make it a lot harder for them to do stuff if they didn't have military-style SWAT gear and breaking into people's homes and shooting First in the middle of the night, which isn't what happened to George Floyd, but is what happened to Brianna and Louisville. Um, and it would be nice if they didn't have all this military equipment with gung ho people during these during these um, protests, which which are like usually daring them to become riots. But that's not like all that's coming out anymore. I mean, one of the things is is that COVID has really shown that um, the political classes in America think they're independent of even the bourgeoisie right now? Like, and that's what I'm shocked at. That's actually shocking me. One of the things I said the other day is I, you know, I listed all the families with all the money. I'm like, none of these people have done anything to restore order because I don't think they can.
0: That so that's shocking. That's shocking, isn't it? Like that the bourgeoisie at the in the current state of affairs, you, you like that the political logic is working on its own logic and the, the not not obviously fucking independently, but the that there has to be some kind of realignment of the bourgeoisie itself at the upper echelons. And you, you I see them in America. I'm shocked they allow Trump to escalate to such this such an extent. Like that's a shocking thing to me. This to me is like ultra shocking. Like, what can we? We're Marxists. We're materialists. What? What? What are the material conditions that can cause this to happen? Is this the? Is this like the next function of capital that Marx wasn't alive for? That it's basically this is this is what happens when you have uh, offshore your
1: production. Is it? Is this what we're seeing? It's more than that. I think. One of the things we have to look at is the diffusion of capital ownership in a system of corporate ownership itself. So no one is actually no one who owns these businesses is actually skilled enough to know how to run them. The exceptions are basically rentier businesses, which are like tech organizations and stuff like that, um, where they still have like entrepreneurs who run the businesses and thus have some, but not much, because of the nature of what they do. Skills. So you have a material, you have a breakdown of, you have a de skilling of most of society. Uh, hyper specialization, hyper specialized skills, but not general ones. Um, you also have like, we like, you know, I'm going to give the, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about lumpenization for a second because we're not just been proletarianized. 20% of the population has been temporarily lumpenized. Like, what are they going to do? Like, um, and it's not that they lack the will. These are not like people who are lumping all the time. Like, I don't even really like that term, but you have the, you, they are truly dispossessed right now. Um, and it, it it doesn't surprise me that this is coming a month before the extension of the unemployment runs out and nobody's doing anything. I mean, one of the things we have to look at like and really look at too is why like these are so big because frankly a lot of people of a lot of people of the pale persuasion are supporting you know civil unrest for for you know for people of color. And yeah, a lot of us out of a, a lot of us out of moral solidarity, but I don't think most of it is. Like moral solidarity wasn't enough to get people involved in the LA riots. Moral solidarity wasn't enough to even really get massive amounts of people involved in Ferguson. So like you have every Mayberry in the United States, like having their own mini protests. Like, yeah. And it's an increasingly browner country. And yes, if you look at under 30, it's like uh, probably majority Brown, but you, you have to have a lot of, of white support. What material reason is there for that? And that's because like the larger structure of capital white and frankly, white supremacy doesn't really have a lot of things for younger white people either. They're not giving anyone, like you're not paying out dividends anymore. And that's not just true in the United States. So that's the worrying thing.
0: Just to add to that- What do you mean they're not paying out dividends? Sorry, sorry. Um,
3: you go ahead. And- no, 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 uh, no. Go. Ahead. Uh, I'll let Derek finish.
1: I mean, like Derek well, was, what role in and like the white
3: supremacist power structure of capital.
1: Do a lot of younger white people, like millennials and younger, have like what are they going to get? They're the most like, like regardless of their race, they've been like in general, the great majority of them have been fucked over. Finally, finally, towards the end of this. Um, economic cycle finally started seeing some real economic benefits you know people started like people my age who are the oldest of the millennial set or the youngest of the janetra set are finally able to maybe buy a house when we're almost 40 and we just watch that fall out from beneath us we got got nothing there's nothing to buy derek. us in the system
0: but derek uh, like like if you're a woman in america like and you're working in hooters are the tips not really good Is that like, that's what America, (laughs) like I'm joking, but like literally when you're a European, you look at fucking, you look online at Americans, like uh, so many of them are doing like online sex work and fucking, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's very, it's kind of crazy. Like it, it really is crazy.
1: Well, I mean, why did uh, online sex work becomes so attractive all of a sudden. It's not cuz anybody's any I mean, we are all more hedonistic than we have ever been, but like why? Like what's the material reason for that? Let's be let's be Let's be clear. Oh, I know. I am I'm, I'm agree with you. I'm agree with you. I'm,
0: I'm trying to make a, a a bad taste fucking comment, right? Oh, we I it. Mean, yeah.
3: So I was yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's interesting in a way for for Marxists, or at least like left people on the left, as a kind of cruel irony, when you know before COVID, we were lamenting the fact that you know the fact that pe- wage labor has been diluted by um, you know the fact that people have a lot of dividend income and workplaces aren't unified and you know every everybody's atomized in such a way that they can't revolt properly. I mean, a lot of that has broken down but not quite in the way that we would want it to and not quite in the way that would kind of return us to that imagined late 19th century, early 20th century promised land. What's the breakdown of sort of the holiday of exchange value leads us to protests which are, as Derek says, you know, sort of formless and shapeless. But they are nonetheless, you know, uh, I suppose positive in the sense that A lot of the kind of fetters that were holding down, you know, the ability of large numbers of dispossessed people to organize have disappeared with COVID. I mean, but then I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how much that's gonna. I don't know how how elastic how elastic the new situation is. But uh, um, useful observation.
1: It seems like it's gonna be largely dependent on on how people restore order, which means this might go real, real bad. Oh, we're doing...
4: Kyle. Yeah, uh, I think you're right, uh, Derek. It's almost like the form that the revolt uh, will take is largely gonna be shaped by the action Uh, that the establishment and the powers that be take um, it because it's so diffuse and inchoate. um, And it kind of reminds me of uh, the sort of platformlessness of Occupy, but in a far more urgent situation.
2: Yeah, there was a similar um, dynamic. Sorry, I'm uh, just kind of butting in here, but um, there was a similar dynamic in 2014 where the Ferguson uh, uprising happened. Um, And I remember kind of being an Occupy burnout during the Ferguson days and being, you know, of course, morally on board with riots and morally on board and, and like ethically on board with like, you know, you got to stop, like, you can't just, like, not even ethically, how do I put this? Like, politically on board with, you know, you can't accept police murder. Like, any attempt to manage this away in some, you know, humane, democratic, liberal way is totally fucking impossible. And, you know, there has to be some response. But I was always nauseous about the way that these... Uprisings would tend to disappear and then leave the proletariat defenseless. Um, That was a big part of why I started looking into Leninism. Um, Part of the kind of axes I was grinding on the early episodes of Swampside Chats. Um, But, you know, five years later or whatever, like, I'm just really happy to see this stuff again. (laughs) Um, And I can't believe the social legs it has. like
0: um yeah there was um sorry i'm trying to remember what my point was here okay well there was something that Derek said there like that he he thinks that like which i see myself is that like the the political sphere are acting in a way that seems like nearly independent of the of the of the economic sphere at this point in time like look at how the democratic party is is operating it doesn't seem to be operating in the interests of capital and neither does the republican party it is in a very very weird strange strange combination uh i think this deserves a bit of discussion uh, um what i wanting to say then um okay like does anybody else want to take up that point a bit because h- how can these be so divorced like is it that okay the, the other thing i wanted to say as well before people get into that is like I know we're doing the Brumaire, and people read the Brumaire, and they see it in every feckin' thing ever. Okay, but we look at Trump, and he was underestimated all the way, much similar to like uh, what you call him, like uh, like Louis Bonaparte, and he comes across like a total moron, and no one thinks of it. But look, he like are the Bourgeoisie, literally walking, sleepwalking into into some kind of different system. That they're or are or are they are they actually doing it like with design? It, it's it's very hard. I, I, well, I don't think they're doing it with design, but like I, are they asleep at the wheel? Is I, is essentially the point? What wheel?
3: Uh, a moke. Oh, I mean I just I'm a bit I guess I'm a bit puzzled about why you're puzzled. I mean it's sort of like a lot of these policing and militarization instincts are kind of like built into the bourgeois state even if, you know, um, they're not exercised necessarily at every point with some like specific economic rationale. Like it's irrational, but I don't I mean I, I don't know why it's unsurprising. Sorry, surprising. But but like but what
0: why it's surprising that they do it over something so trivial.
3: Well, it's a trivial that's thing, po- you know, it's a trivial, it's a quote, trivial thing that's like threatening civil order minimally, right? Like it's a revolt I'm, or is it?
1: The fact that we've gotten to the, the point of riots and the point that those riots are coalescing into revolts, even though they do not have demands, they do not have leaders, they do not have. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a left wing or right wing movement, even though it does cut left. I, I'm not, I don't think it cuts right at all but it, it in of itself more like a force of nature, and it needs to be understood as that. Um, and to get to Tom's point, though, because this is, I've been thinking about this a very long time. The entirety of my left-wing career, this has been in the back of my mind. I remember when I was 24 years old, and a reactionary. I read a certain book by James Burnham called mm-hmm. The Managerial Revolution. Now, Burnham has a very good habit of picking the losing side and then becoming a liberal reactionary because his attitude is if you can't beat them, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, he you know was a major figure in the OSS and the precursor to the CIA, and you know helped Buckley start the National Review, et cetera, and so forth. Somehow started both paleoconservative and neoconservatism as in our modern form in America. You know, um, but also every prediction he made was wrong, but his observations haunted me. His observations were as such, the kinds of, of societies needed to run capitalism without constant dangerous crisis required an, in, an increased diffusion of capital ownership. And that diffusion required more and more management. That management could use democracy As a way to hide and have public legitimacy um off of the theories of villafredo pareto and that there were different managerial tasks to be done and that the most competent management would be created from the military because they had skills in multiple areas since the classical skilled bourgeoisie was in decline and Now he didn't live to see neoliberalism, but neoliberalism also follows this long crack. Where do you see all the the seeming profits in capital? Even in the most productive cores, you see them in rentier places. Yes, those entrepreneurs are inventing things, but nothing that they invent is profitable without an IP. And an IP is a rentier system, which means a lot of things. It means that classical understanding of monopoly capital, as understood by um, Hilferding forward, is no longer applicable, if it ever was, and that we don't really know who's been running anything. And frankly, because things have been running kind of on their own through financialization and fictitious capital and massive amounts of debt, no one is helming the ship. There is no one really at the wheel of state in most of these countries. Even Trump, who is our commander in chief, is not really in charge. COVID proved that.
0: Yeah, but I have... would go like, is there not a distribution, is there not like different, sorry, Ezra, you're, a, you're next, sorry.
2: Yeah, Um I mean, essentially it reminds me so much of the sort of left-wing attempts to codify what a totalitarian society would mean. I'm reminded of the anarchist Victor Serge, who is, uh, you know, a Bolshevik. um, And his, like, way of understanding that there was something about the Marxian framework that underestimated the ability for, like you know, managerial types to generalize their interest in in a way. And I mean, I think, I think when one looks at the Soviet Union, it's hard to see a glowing story of totalitarianism as something that is, what's the word? Sustainable. That like generalizing based on like creating a society and in managerial interests is, is, an unsustainable enterprise in in a way that a you know Marx would have expected but it's also a tendency that capital keeps coming back to um and you know whether it's under red flags or not um i don't know it has very like different dynamics than the classical analyses of capitalism. And something that you maybe alluded earlier, Tom, is that the way that class struggle unfolds is very different in this type of society. Um, And I say very different maybe because I haven't seen things unfold to the new labor movement or something, but, you know, there's a pretty stable long-term pattern of Predominantly anti-state spasms, social spasms, taking the place of more sustained forms of protest activity or strikes or that kind of labor union activity. You know, like, that's some of the only class struggle we see in our time. That's something that has kind of haunted my analysis the whole time I've been talking to you all. And... Frankly, after going through that whole revolutionary strategy series, I'm, I'm asking myself, you know, why isn't Bakunin right? Like, where are the holes here? Because I, I don't really think Bakunin is right. But what we have here is a pretty solid case that is sort of just implied by reality and implied by our own reading of the revolutionary traditions for why Marxists cut towards Bakunin, <laughs> you know, like especially in the last 40 years.
4: I just wanted to bring the Brumaire back in here and, you know, in the Brumaire Marx makes the argument that the state, the special body of armed men basically got fed up with the politicians. Uh, the party of order, the social democrats waffling this way and that, uh, and realize that, you know, they could get a better uh, paycheck out of going with a dictator. I kind of see that in this situation, it's like that special body of our men is just like making sure that paycheck doesn't go away like it's they're they're fighting in their corporate interest it's not that they are trying to seize the state to improve how much money they get it's kind of like they're trying to keep the cash flowing to them um does that check out with anybody here
0: I don't know how much it would check out, to be honest. Uh, I, I know what you mean, Kyle. But, like, if they actually go this route, it will be the destruction of the American economy for a year or two, more than likely. It will mean a repeal of large swathes of their influence across the world. It will mean a repeal of a lot of the empire. This is like a moment of a house of cards where you're pulling one from the bottom and you see the fucking things go slowly. Go. They're not going slowly. The shit is happening. I'm talking to my friend there today and i'm like oh god does this mean russia has to come in and save us all again you know it's like fucking madness right so i i don't know how much i don't know i know what you mean kyle but it's it feels like the logic is just the same logic has been used and it's like they're not they're not realizing like the systemic fucking urgency of what's going on what does it I, but does that, it make
4: sense we just been Do, but does, tom does it make sense though that a lot of the drive towards hardline violence we're seeing is about the police and the state maintaining a corporate interest uh, for themselves, even if it is short-sighted.
0: I don't think so. <sighs> Perhaps, like, it could like, oh no, that's a decent point. Like, is it? A, is it? Is it something like the military-industrial complex are going? We want fucking to keep our military industrial complex. That's a reasonable
4: look at things. It's an interesting take. I assume that's kind of the thing you're saying, Kyle, is it? Yeah, you know, I mean, just like the symbol of the thin blue line flag, you know, really sticks in my head. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so to pick up on that a little bit, though, that's not a – the police do not consume enough, nor is it destroyed in a way. That would make it a profitable enterprise for like Northrop Grumman to maintain. Like that's the military. And so the military and police interests are not the same. But what we're seeing here is as far as drift goes, the police are acting like what they always kind of were: an occupying force, but the fucking gloves are off now. Now, what I'm more worried about though, and what people are like spinning in this as a, as, a, as the empire crisis in America, which it is, and America is an empire that's found Um, It's not going to stop here, and there's no one else to save you. Russia is a basket case. China is actually in decline as well. Like there is no other geopolitical power to step in right now, and it sure as fuck isn't the Europeans or Canada. So like, let's really really think about what that means. Now I want to go back to something that Esri brought up. Um and I'm going to c- queue up a moog here too. moog, do you remember when we reviewed a certain book in an episode that we lost?
3: I I mean if you're talking about Riot Strike Riot. I am. I thought I was going to bring that up as well. <laughs>
1: So we read Josh Clover's riot struck riot and I said look the clover may even be right even though he seems to be basing this analysis off of a metaphor from mcm in a way that cannot be like it's it would literally be a hypostatization fallacy but that we are in a period of riots because there's no way that the organized labor can work that way because capital has diffused in a way that has weakened organized labor, even though labor unions are still helpful, even for this right now. Like That's another thing we need to like put in the question. Mm-hmm. Where this stuff has been successful and not just a riot, it's because unions have helped. However, yeah. there's also a lot of anger at the official uniondom for continuing to support the police unions. The AFL-CIO, is still backing the the Fraternal Order of Police, and that may or may not be why. I mean, it's a riot. Who knows why that building was burnt up? But in DC, the AFL CIO building was burnt. So that seems targeted uh, enough to me, right? I mean, it's it's very hard. Yeah, and the,
0: that's targeted. And that's targeted, Derek. And they are going to fucking they are going to have to get the cops out of it if they're going to survive. Their their institution is going to be destroyed.
1: Well, I don't know, like, I don't know how they do that. Like, but anyway, I mean, the the police union is literally one of the strongest. They just fucking kicked them out. They just fucking kicked them out.
2: You got to understand the character of the AFL-CIO, they might hold on to that more than move out of the way. They might not be part of the next workers movement. Anyway. Right.
1: It's what I'm telling you is like, like, They might. They would be more likely to lose a bunch of small sector unions that don't give as much money to them, because the industrial sector is gone, and they're largely dependent on state workers um, to maintain their mass base. So, what you got? Like, you you have you have what after the like the NEA? I don't think is in the AFL CIO, so they don't have the teachers. I don't know about the nurses union off the top of my head. And they need a mass base. And the, the largest unions are medical, city civic workers, teachers, and police. Those are the areas that are still largely organized in a way which is easy to unionize and to which unionizing is somewhat effective. And that's going to be harder now because they can't strike. So it brings back to the riot strike riot. I said that what I, what I was afraid of with Clover's analysis more than anything else is that under pressure of an assault, it is very hard to imagine what systems conditions, what dialectical forms, if you want me to talk Marxist stuff, um, could, um, could cause the emergence of an organization spontaneously from a riot where there are so many social forces unleashed that no one can control it. Now those things can turn into a revolts and they can pinpoint on specific issues and they have. But one of the things we've noticed is like, honestly, as these go on, I was talking about how amazing the beginning of the riots in, in Minnesota were because they were so laser targeted on specific things. That is not true as they've emerged everywhere else. And that has led to conspiracy mongering, even amongst our liberal allies, all of whom are like showing Black Lives Matter, you know, blackout things in their fucking Facebook, while also talking that the riots are somehow caused by white supremacists who are somehow hiding amongst the antifa people and causing all kinds of riots you have people within the 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 um the communities of color who are legitimately afraid that they're going to lose access and lose control to any semblance of getting concessions from power and meanwhile Politicians are going to be throwing out like reforms that may be somewhat meaningful if had done, I don't know, 10 years ago, but I don't know what they're going to do now. And they're not possibly going to get this genie back into the bottle. So, who restores order? And the answer that I'm afraid of, even though I want to like point this out, like people are like, Trump is fascist, this has never happened before. Um, The way Trump is doing it has never happened before and the scale in which it could be done, but all he is threatening to do is to use an act that um, was invoked in 1992, the Insurrections Act, although there are some key things that have changed under the Bush and Obama regimes, particularly the Bush regime, which revised the Insurrections Act to make the military more deployable in the United States and to be more likely to use deadly force on American civilians, but that's never, you know, like that in and of itself is not, was not Trump. And it also has been a trend that we've seen forever. And it has been invoked to quell the LA riots. That's why they were like, like the national guard and the military were like airlifting aid to the police. Um, What we've never seen though, is that on this scale. And, you know, like even places like, like there, yeah, things got violent and stuff was trashed and and the 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 SLC um, action on Saturday. Um, but honestly, until some wacko with a bow and arrow showed up, all the targets were pretty much just the police and like spray painting the Capitol. But when that when that guy showed up, like this libidinal, like you know, and they body slammed to the ground and torched the car. It didn't hurt him that bad. I mean, they hurt him a little bit, but not too terribly they bad. It didn't fucking hurt him enough. He got away with a couple of black eyes.
0: They, they got fucker's too. coming in doing that. But, yeah. Um, well, like, here, like, I have a couple of things to say, right, Derek? I would say, like, about the, you're talking about the technicality of the laws. Law's out the fucking window now, man. That's the That's the point I would like to make. Law doesn't matter shit right now you see that cops are just indiscriminately fucking shooting people in the head with rubber bullets from fucking 10, 20 yards. Like they're fucking laws out the window. Like there's people like, just like on camera beating the shit out of Australian fucking cameramen, right. on fucking when it's being broadcast live, like the law is gone. Right. So now it's about fucking force. Other one more thing I'd say. Another thing I'd say is like with respect to what Lexi said, um like um, i think like
2: a, that was my previous the... host tom sorry
0: esri god
2: so. damn
0: it i blame the whiskey i'm after pouring myself another whiskey Ah, um, uh, what the history it's a scotch nice scotch it's a jura journey single malt scotch whiskey <laughs> i bought it's you know, it on Ooh. offer um Very nice. so
3: so right, you, um, you might want to restart that
0: yeah. So, like, with the, with, when it comes to the, like, the anarchist, like, oh, obviously they have an anarchist bent at the moment. To me, like, I think that's a reaction to the, what turned out to be the Leninist project that, you know, and especially in America with all the propaganda, you know, I think that's like a historical thing that's happening. And I think that, one thing we were dealing with in the in the McNair book. Do you remember we were doing the opposite, the parts in the revolutionary Strategy book where we we're talking about like uh, armed militias? We need like the low the people to be have armed militias, and we're like on, oh lads, we're going that'll be a hard sell for all these fucking uh, lefties and at the moment in America. They're all anti-going. things have changed. Well, what do they think about it now? What the fuck that- do they think about it now?
2: No, things, yeah, no, and things I think, have really like, changed. Like that's 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 they have fucking changed, surprising.
0: right? That's 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 fucking amazingly surprising. So the whole fucking the whole thing about and like in oh, the understanding of like fucking actually brute force is a thing in the West again. a fucking changed in the left. People see it. There's fucking people getting brutalized, and if you don't have the weapons, you're getting you're getting done in.
1: Okay, so I think that's a big change. Um, so no, you know, yeah, like huge of a change. I mean, part of the thing is it's just not it's not hidden and it's no longer just the, the lowest of the low we have to deal it's with. It's a it. big change, Derek. It's a
0: big change, it's a fucking huge
1: change. And no, the only really thing I would say like it's not gonna happen now, probably country that I live in and actually see every fucking day. So let me I know uh, fair, fair enough. enough. But, fair enough. But like I am not I'm not finished. Uh maybe I'm finished. So you go on ahead.
0: Like I'm not trying to I'm just I'm just saying like like it's not there now, but that that idea of it is fucking uh it's in the air. And I would I would also say that the um I would I would say that like we're saying well we're not organized. Of course we're not we're not the left is not organized. Like we're going to get if, if if the if Trump's forces get dominant over the rest of the bourgeoisie and the liberals, like it's fucked. We're totally fucked. But if if but like it it poses the question for the future, and and I think like it it's kind of feels more like like a like a you like well, no, know seventeen ninety three or whatever it was, the first French Revolution, where the forces are like. In disarray. There was, there's not working organization, working men organizations in the same extent. It feels more like that than, we're always talking about 1848 now with the premier, but that's how it feels to me. I'm going to shut up. I said a lot of things.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just to pick up on Derek's thread about the, the Riot strike right book. I mean, there's a general tendency, uh, not just in that book, but in sort of communist discourse and anarchist discourse generally to treat um, conditions of decay as kind of like essential features of new movements. So for instance, in, there, in that book, Clover says, well, look, there's this new thing called the riot, which is a new sort of sustainable form of revolutionary organization, um, which is, you know, some, a direct result of the decline of the working class movement and things like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that thinking about these anti-state spasms as, as uh, Ezri called them, um, is uh, as some kind of like essential form, which is this, which is the sort of unified coherent basis for a further movement, is pretty problematic. I mean, I think I, I don't really have too much to say about what they are. I think it's but it's very important not to see see their current form as kind of like, you know, a new movement which is like sh- completely showing itself. I mean, I think generally, like a lot of the a lot of the way in which a lot of the way in which like a lot of the trends that Derek's been commenting about and everyone's been commenting about are kind of reflections of decay and perhaps you know uh, when these things get linked up with other parts of society like the unions will begin to see more of what more of what the scope for resistance actually is. I mean, for now, I'm, I'm not too I'm not sure that we can kind of look at this form and treat it as you know the size of contradictions in the way someone like Clover does or in the way the anarchists do. So, I mean, in all I want to say was, you know, the jury is still a little bit out on Bakunin. Um, I think I'm still, I'm still waiting.
1: Well, um, also, like that isn't all that Bakunin stands for. I want to respond to a bunch of things. There was one comment in the, in the, the you know, the hoi polloi out there commenting in our chat, um, that's correct. There was, a, there, there was a reversal back to the prior wording of um, the Posse Comitatus Act and the Insurrection Act in 2008, which I've mentioned before. However, the other thing that has changed is the expansion of the National Defense Authorization Act in 2012, which does hold that you can suspend U.S. citizens with um, Um, without trial due process or habeas corpus if they are considered as involved in a terrorist action. However, it is also unclear that any U.S. citizen on U.S. soil can be um, held. Now, the reason why I think this all matters, yes, the cops have thrown the law out the window. They think they are the law. They don't know it. Um, The bourgeoisie and the military want order. Historically speaking, in societies where this kind of thing has happened, um the military asserts itself against the police and against the you know against even the right wing you know tempot dictators and think who overthrew peron for example um, like correct like that's more where where like where's the party of order now like um, i don't really see like trump is making a lot of threats he hasn't delivered on Um, He can invoke the Insurrection Act as much as he wants. Um, He can talk about uh, Antifada being a terrorist organization, although he's not specifying that they're a domestic terrorist organization, which has different rules. Um, And so the courts and the institutions of law and order that Trump actually needs legitimacy from um, aren't going to like this. He's gotten pushback. From the courts a lot and probably from the military um so uh that's that's where i am on that as far as as far as you know the riot form like it's it's not a unique form i don't know like how you sustain revolutionary activity i think part of the issue is we're responding to clover's book where there's assumptions on communization theory that are not stated in that book because they're kind of probably radical and slightly horrific, Um, you know, and a a mere poet like myself or Joshua should not just say them willy-nilly, but the idea is that Riot will destabilize things and make everyone precarious enough that under catastrophic conditions, they will have to find new forms of organization to survive. That's the backdrop of that theory. I mean, it's not accelerationist, but it's more, but it's almost, you know, necessary. And without considering that unstated part of the argument, a lot of what they're saying doesn't make sense. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, why aren't, you know, this is also in the comments section of, of this thing. It's like, why aren't left-wing militias? Because militias take more than guns, guys, like. Like it's not hard to get a gun. It's hard to organize a militia, drill it down, and train it so that it won't break under fire. That is not easy to do. That is part of why you know when I was when we were arguing about the uh, era spring why why they weren't able to really maintain things when the military reasserted itself because there's no disciplined enough organizational form to assume that we that stuff doesn't emerge from nothing. Like, and, and so, like, we either have to go with the, the, the true Bakuninist that we're not mentioning. Like, Bakunin's second part of the theory is that a bunch of professional revolutionary secret dictatorship from the, from the you know, the Babouf Blanqui theory of dictatorship <laughs> the proletariat, where a secret dictatorship asserts itself to re-educate the populace you know, basically through propaganda by the D, i.e., assassination, and something like barracks communism. The the flip side of Bukutanism is like the 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 disciplining force is terrorism. Right, that's what's not stated there either. Like if we're going to talk about true Bukutanism, the disciplining force is terror that emerges from a radical cell willing to impose it. A cell that's willing to, I don't know, shoot their comrades in the back if need be. Well, you're all you're
0: lucky, everybody are in different fucking continents than me, because I'm ready to slice the heads off the Lottias. Um, who's next?
2: <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from, Tom? It's a fight. <laughs>
3: Did you mean Americans, No, just us specifically?
2: <laughs> yeah. No, you.
0: like literally, you, you, you scumbags. um uh, <laughs> Who's who's up? Um, I was thinking today, like, if only, right, like Christopher Walken, right? He was a popular film star, you know, since the seventies. Like, surely, film Christopher Walken would have like met Donald Trump at some fancy do and shaken hands. Like if that had happened, he would have been able to take him out and kill him, deadstone dead zone style. He should have been able to see the future. Like I, I blame this on Christopher Walken.
3: Maybe just one take thing. That. Sorry, Kyle. No, go ahead, uh, Mog. Oh, just just one thing about the, the radical south. Thing. I mean, it's it seemed like something was implicit in what you said, Derek, is that the Bakuninists are making kind are they kind of making assumptions about a possible effective, a possible social base for the radical cell, which aren't being born out. Like, where is the radical cell going to come from? How is it going to be effective? Um, how are you going to organize, organize a disorganized group of protesters, even some small subset of them? You know, it's not clear that there's an answer to that question, either in the original Bakunin stuff or in Blanqui, or there's an, or today, you know, it's not, where is this going to come from?
1: Well, Blanqui and Bakunin thought that there was at least a, a cell of, you know, trained revolutionaries with with muskets who could go out and get there. And you're also talking about, a, you know, a, a much le- – you're talking about, you know, an army that while it was the most impressive in its day, um, it was mowed down pretty easily in 1914. So um, – I don't know. I, I'm like, I don't know how those strategies work. I mean, it would basically be like like the, the modern equivalent to that is like an Al-Qaeda strategy, frankly, if, you know, such a thing
3: was expanded. And that obviously works, worked out fine.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of got what, I mean, in some ways, like Bin Laden got what, what he wanted, was an acceleration of the decline of the U.S. empire, but didn't get the caliphate part, which was the most important thing.
4: Yeah, so it's still not really fulfilling that second disciplining criterion uh, that you were bringing up there, Derek.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: Maybe maybe another thing people would say is that, and this is, I guess, maybe the line Clover will take, is that uh, organizations that are supposed to play the role of the cell will spontaneously emerge from chaos. Um, and so uh-huh. we'll, move, we'll move from we'll move from kind of the uh, situation where the main political force is chaos and dispossession to a situation where the main political force is revolutionary terror or not revolutionary, terror, like anarchist terror.
2: (laughs) Yeah. There's a certain um, way of pushing back on the anarchist uh, invisible dictatorship, you know, Bakunin's actual position, right? Like, that comes from you know autonomous marxists and basically they try to maintain some hope that there can be proletarian organizations and that you know there's some sense that the experience of class struggle will generate them but they don't believe that proletarian organizations can resist organizational drift in bourgeois society. So in order to square these, yes, that's exactly where they go, right? That there's going to be some kind of emergent forms of organization in the proletariat that will somehow be able to overcome the state.
0: Look, like why are we saying this? Like, I don't, I don't know. I like the word emergent, like everything is goddamn emergent. Like, as in, like, there is no reason why these, these systemic, like learnings by people in these crises won't lead to like a revolutionary party being formed again. It's not like it's only allowed to happen once in history. If anything, I think from what we see is the need for such a party, you know? Um, One thing that, uh, uh, my friend James in the chat brought up God um, IRA or something here, but it, it strikes me looking back on like the after I did an interview with a guy uh, Daniel Finn who wrote a book on the political history IRA, which is actually a very interesting read. But um, looking at what happened in Northern Ireland, it seemed like that the the the, the Unionist state uh, did not want to give equal rights even if, you know, to take Catholics at the time in the late, late, mid, late 60s, early 70s. And they literally prepared the country, they were prepared to bring the country to essentially a civil war, low-level civil war for 25 years. Like, and, you know, that's like a remnant of the planter class. You know, it's going back to what happened with British colonialism. Like, is it that this is like a similar case whereby the remnants of the slave aristocracy in america aren't willing to to deal with that historical legacy is this like 1971 or something in northern ireland is that like do people think that's a stupid way of analyzing it
4: um i i can't really speak to that not knowing enough about the us right now um i just had a short question which was uh if we're talking about like bakuninist terror cells would like the sr combat organization in russia uh be an example Mm -hmm. because that that was totally not spontaneous like that was a long-term organized terrorist effort that was like abetted by the police um
2: yeah, it's it's important to understand that um, the the invisible dictatorship is a more long term kind of tight knit revolutionary group that can influence an emergent sort of you know anarchist form.
3: It reminds me of that saying by uh, sort of Carl uh, Polanyi in a different context: uh, spontaneity is planned, planning is usually spontaneous you know and in, the, in an organizational context that would be you know the the point i guess i'm gesturing as you know even a, a heavily organized a heavily organized cell like this has to have some kind of like objective social forces of some sort making it possible so let's actually do some some
1: more deep analysis because one of the things i think that we have been misdoing and maybe we're all still doing it and I've been trying to move us away from is we're still talking about, you know, the base contradiction of capitalism, the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. But we've also talked about how there's no bourgeoisie really at the helm. They don't seem to be able to restore order. And that the irony of this particular event is the proletariat is active when it is deproletarianized, when it is unemployed. You know, I'm not saying it's not still the proletariat, but, like, that's when, that's when all this is agitated. There's also multiple social forces playing into this. Like, we, we, can't, we can't have a lot of that outside agitator talk, but we also can't pretend that there aren't people trying to steer this in whatever direction. I mean, for, you know, Robert Evans' weird reporting about the, the Bugaloo Boys aside um there is a, there are certain right wing groups basically you're going to try the same kind of terror cell accelerationist tactics that uh that Clover and such were talking about Co- simultaneously the more they do it the more you give liberals a plausible deniability to just line the protesters up and the revolters up against the wall and serve them to Trump on a fucking platter so which is also happening um Furthermore, since we haven't talked about how the the sclerotic nature of a lot of the states, and this is, again, not unique to the US, you also see this in uh, to some degree in India, and you definitely see it in Russia, where things are so hyper-federated that really a lot of power that we focus on the national executive for is not held by the national executive. The day-to-day runnings of everything is really on the state and municipal level. Um, and so these these players, even when they're ideologically, you know, more pro-proletarian or more liberal, um, are going to want the reestablishment of their power. They do not want to lose their power to the to the national um, apparatus or to the military, and to have that go on. I mean, I don't think it's anybody's even thinking about it this explicitly this is like reptile brain shit but that they know that the instrumental logic, because they cannot restore order themselves even if it requires a little bit of human sacrifice for the trump lord then then um then they lose their power so there's a rush to give deliver that sacrifice up and since most of the people watching this in the united states think almost solely in terms of partisan politics they're going to cheerlead this and push the conspiracy theories to save everything at hand. Um, like that's why I take that's why I take a much darker view. I think where we talk about this as revolutionary, it is a it is a revolt. There is revolutionary th- full there there are demands to be made, but the social pressures on this and the amount of different things acting in it isn't in anyone's control, and that needs to be realistically looked at by the quote unquote left, if they want to be able to do anything with this, they, they just assume it's going to emerge on its own. And frankly, will shut down even mild criticisms of how it probably won't. But there's also a counter pressure where if like, if you start criticizing, you know, the riots or whatever, you're really, you're really actually taking a conservative pose in, a, in an objective sense. Mm-hmm.
2: So what do you do? Like,
1: there's no, like it's a very <laughs> hard line to walk.
2: Yeah. The same, you know, person or organization or tenancy needs to do this. A, just be pro-riot, and then B, have the strategic discussion. You need to be able to do both. It can't just be a coded conservative criticism. Because I used to mount this criticism, you know, when I was an Occupy Burnout. And, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, I... I wonder, you know, how much like counter signaling I was doing or whatever. While I still like acknowledge that, yeah, there's, you know, strategic, you know, uh, you know, there's strategic considerations that aren't addressed by riots. Like, yeah, riots are, you know, riots are only tactical in aggregate. It's (laughs) never the individual actor really like, or, or I shouldn't say never, but it's rarely the individual actors thinking in terms of tactics and strategy. That's just like, not like a fair way of thinking, you know, about how these things pop up. Um, if one wants to think that way, and I think a Moog made a gesture at this and it's very important, you know, we are importing essentially a sort of, alien logic into a situation that's primarily about like, sometimes people frame it as justice, but I think it's probably better thought of as revenge, revenge against the society, you know, that like perhaps can't deliver justice, you know? Um, And trying to like pour in some strategic logic of problem solving Into an event that is, uh, you know, largely about an expression of despair, you know, and, and hopelessness and rage. Like, there's a disconnect there. It's probably, you know, the job of Marxists to draw the lines and think about how to get from point A to point B. But I know, you know, I don't feel too qualified in drawing out, you know, the imminent communist strategy or whatever going on underneath a riot you know that isn't I mean I think you know it's important to remember that it's not that everybody decided to do anarchist politics or something it's it's just that like the kinds of socially relevant left wing you know or communist perspectives or whatever are looking towards these kind of things it's the politics of the NGO (laughs) what
0: what what is where did where did that come from? Sorry, I just I know Derek's skin. I just wanted didn't want to say. It. I just wanted to say a quick one. It's like the the kind of like you know anarchism stuff. It's like heavily NGOized.
2: I, I'm not I'm not talking about that kind of anarchism. I'm talking about insurrectionary anarchism. I'm talking about like you know co- communizers. Frankly, like I'm but I'm trying to get down to you know, Marxists that pay attention to these things or, or or anarchists that are serious about making, you know, not leaving the proletariat defenseless. You know, I don't even really care how you think of yourself. Just like, you need to be able to not just say, oh yeah, riot, good, but probably show some form of material support to rioters and at the same time try to present some kind of path forward. It's probably not a program. It's very likely not like a fully fleshed out electoral party, like immediately. It, it may come in the form of some kind of, you know, protest vote campaign or something, but whatever it is, now's a good time to start thinking about it. As
1: a conservative ultra leftist here, <laughs> Okay, um, I, I don't even know what that is. What, what does that even mean? Wh- what are you drinking tonight? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm he's so- drinking. He's drinking hemlock. <laughs> um,
1: no, I, I, I just know what people stereotype of me as, but I want to. I want to actually be Doctor No for a second because I am good at it, and because there is some things I've been thinking about a lot before this happened in the last four or five years, I've been studying the early formations of the left, but like not the stuff that McNair covers and, and, uh and revolutionary strategy, the stuff before that, the stuff that, that could merge with and never did. All right. Or never did outside of Russia. One of the things we forget that, Clover and E.P. Thompson are right about, is that strikes emerged, you know, in these early illegal unions, out of a century of shit fits and riots um, that mostly got people killed, although there were bourgeois revolutions, but, you know, these revolutions would then turn on those very people when they started asking for more demands. That was part of, like, Marx's whole point. The parties that emerged, though, when we look at their formation, and everywhere but the United States, not United States had United States and the UK had. Okay, so in the UK, factions coalesced amongst the parliamentarians themselves, and that's created the first round of parties, and then they became mass voter parties later. In the US, they started as mass voter parties. Um, factionization was heavily discouraged against, but was seemingly inevitable, and then they happened in a mass voter base but the labor parties and workers parties etc emerged from coalitions of unions and nationalists and whatnot emerging from the failure of 1848 which was largely a revolutionary revolt which had which was actually even to accelerate bourgeois development and then overcome it instantly that's what the that's what the communists were hoping for in the rest of europe Marx's Communist Manifesto and all that stuff makes no sense unless you take that in consideration. And then the parties that form after that, where they move from these small sectarian forms like the League of the Just and the Communist League and the early Communist Party into like um, the Social Democratic Parties in France and, the, in, and um, Germany, they formed – from those labor unions coalescing together and then taking leadership from largely academics. Um, but with a strong, strong union base that worked together and even provided you know, a whole ray of life that political representational parties do not do now. What organizations coalesce into parties in a riot? are in a revolt. They might in 10 years, but everyone's feeling that like we don't have 10 years to do that. And the pressure continues and grows. Right? So if we call for a party, we, we, we're we like jumping from point A to point D. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, you, like, you know, it
0: has to, it has to, but the thing is, Derek, there's also the history of it which is different than then and people have 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 history to look at to 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 copy you know that's the thing that marx talks about is it opening is it opening paragraph or the opening like page or two of where he talks about how they donned the roman clothes you know the 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 clothes of the you know I don't know the, the Republican revolutions of whatever of the Roman period, and it's like it is. It, it's easier for people maybe to see that these things existed and to 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 kind of uh, short uh, short circuit that development period. I think that's perhaps reasonable, but it, it, it's not there now. And I'm honest with you, it's not going to exist as a political force right now in this fucking crisis agree it's just not no no way so like that's why i said earlier like like there's no saving the working class here unless the bourgeoisie fucking does it that's my kind of key point it's like unless the bourgeoisie steps in i'm telling you the shit's going down
1: but which bourgeoisie and how and why and like what i'm more worried about is we've been operating off of a system that has been kind of leaderless and self-perpetuating for a long time. And it's not just here. And- it'll come,
0: Derek, it'll come from the finance sector is where it'll come from. It'll come from Wall Street. All right. It'll be the fucking merchant banks and they'll fucking do it. And the military. It'll be them two sectors of capital, the treasury secretary fucking, or the treasury complex, the deep state and Wall Street. That's, that's where it'll come from.
1: Right. And it can do that with or without Trump. I mean, it can be doing, it might be doing that with Trump, like, and it's back door right now with Trump, you know, being allowed to spout off whatever, but the actual things that are passing don't tend to match what he says. And that's been true for a long time. Um, And so like one of the things that we, that I've been trying to do, and I'm getting a ton of pushback on this is to get people to quit focusing on these like pseudo bonapartist figures when that's not what's actually running anything.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, in some way it's useful to distinguish like two kinds of questions about stabilizing, right? So there's a question of who begins the stabilization and given that what knock-on effects does it have on like a whole bunch of other elements of the system? So for instance, Derek mentioned earlier, if, you know, um, if if Trump or the military or some central entity is the thing that does the work, um, that's gonna mess up a whole lot of stuff with the states. If finance, I mean, you could, you could say similar things about finance, you know, finance steps in, what does that mean for the relationship between finance and the federal government? What does that mean for the states? What does that mean for the parties, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, the instability is just gonna cascade across the system. Yeah, I mean
4: are are you talking in like the form of a capital strike or just in the form of a conspiracy like oh. among big financial organizations uh, uh to 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 move the military? Oh, me. You're talking I, to me Kyle or, or Armog. Tom well, I'm just trying I'm trying to understand what we mean by the fin- fi- finance ste- stepping in. That's all, I'm sorry. So yeah, I, I think literally the like what you're kind of like God,
0: conspiracy whatever you want to call it
4: like a coup yeah, a i, I don't coup. mean that in any kind of pejorative sense i just mean people getting together making a plan and doing something you know yeah a fucking a coup a deep state coup top of the bourgeoisie coup
2: yeah we we should talk about the potential you know, yeah um sorry i think wait, it, did Amo talk yet am i am i jumping <laughs> stack go ahead Okay. Yeah, we should talk about the potential for reaction here. Um, The most obvious thing is the threatening speech the president gave last night, um, and the deployment of basically, like, from what I understand, it's something along the lines of if you don't deploy the national guard, I'm going to send the military. Um, There. And yeah. And then, of course, there's the more kind of advanced. Uh, level threat of some kind of deep state coup to get rid of Trump that ends up creating a, you know, some other kind of bonapartism or, you know, dictatorship, you know, what, (sighs) there's also the once very remote possibility, but now a little more plausible possibility of and this is apart from the white outside agitating anarchist thing but there are like what do they call them like the the boogaloo types or big luau types or what have you Um, these militiamen that want to that are basically communizers in reverse that see the outbreak of up, you know, let's see this uprising and see this as a potential for instigating essentially race war. Those people do exist. They have better gun training and discipline and have been, you know, probably within their own circles, more effective at thinking about how to organize their, 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 you know, weird cults or whatever. Um, you know, what are we supposed to do as rational adults that can assess threats and, you know, try to... <laughs> how how do we direct... How do we herd the cats of the left into a good response <laughs> to all these threats? You know, what, like... And, um, you know, I don't think it's really the riots that need to be controlled, really. It's more like what kind of agency do we have to you know make this situation any better to prepare ourselves for you know a potential crackdown to help mitigate a potential crackdown you know again
1: crackdown's coming crackdown's unavoidable crackdown is somewhat already here there will be also crackdown on other forces in society and that's where things get more interesting and more complicated like someone's going to crack down on the police too they have obviously fucked up or this would not have happened from the logic of the larger system even of just the state um the military is not as sympathetic to the police as one would think but there's a lot of different factors going on in the military um the military is 44 percent of color but combat officers are way more likely to be white and um which is interesting right part of the issue is over the last since um nine uh, since the since the recovery is you you have less people uh less men of color going into the military you have a lot more women of color which is also interesting but um so there's all that so broad based analysis of the military needs to be find home secondly if they're deploying troops in the united states and they and they have any plans for that they've been screened for what they're willing to do they won't just be the generic military at large but we have no idea where the actual running of the military is on this the military in the united states has a tradition of respecting civilian order so that it can maintain its power i mean it's an ironic thing but they maintain so much power because they don't coup. they don't look like they're going to be unloyal to this larger state civilian run apparatus that has been a tradition and it's worked for since we've had a standing army since since like the war of 1812 um that that if that breaks down all bets are off also when we look at like the the idea of a coup of capital That also assumes unification amongst capital forces and the ability to pull the, the financialization lever, which is where I agree with Tom, is where the most power directly related to the government is. They don't really control production though. And production's at a standstill. Not totally, but it kinda is. And while we're going on, this COVID crisis is still happening. Cases are still going up. Like we're not seeing net declines like we're seeing in Italy. Like this is all still going on. It hasn't gone away from the standpoint would, of like a system. This is a system in, in crisis in a way that cannot stay just in America, even if the riots do.
0: Like Derek, I would say that like there's two, to me, like when I think of American capital, well, I suppose there's three big ones. There's the military industrial complex. There is the financial se- sector. And there is Silicon Valley, and I would say Silicon Valley would not like a dictatorship. I think that the finance sector would not like a dictatorship because honestly, if I remember thinking before I knew much about economics when the 2008 crash I was thinking, God, I wonder is this the end of the dollar? The dollar is under fucking immense pressure. It will it will lose a shitload of value if they go dictatorship. So I don't think the finance will want that. And and then the third one is a military-industrial complex. And I think they're probably fine with it. So like it depends for me, is like it there will be a battle between these sectors of capital. Much like when we read the uh like the Brumair, you've got the landed gentry fighting finance. So I think that's the battle in the bourgeoisie that will be had. And I just think that the, the sectors of capital that Don't want it, and just the empire doesn't doesn't want it. It, you know, it it would seem like, you know, maybe they can't get their act together like the fucking left, but like they're they're easier to organize. They're smaller and they've got power. So I do kind of, I don't know, but like I'd be, I'm 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 staggered. They don't have it together. That's that's the way I'm saying. Not going to say I think they'll get it together. Because fuck me, they're they're really playing high-stakes poker here, but they haven't got it together. And we haven't seen any sign yet that they will.
4: Uh I just have a small uh question following up on what you're saying about the composition of the military, uh, Derek. So it was about the National Guard. Uh what does that look like? Because I know in like the Vietnam era, the National Guard was like generally seen as quite bourgeois because of all the draft dodging. But I really doubt that's the case anymore. Uh, do you know anything about that and how it might factor into the situation?
1: So I don't have hard numbers in front of me. The trends for, for all military recruitment as that it has gone down, the guard actually probably does pretty well because you can work and be in the guard in a way that you cannot be in, you know, like a full-time soldier. You can be in the reserves, but, um, one of the things that the Bush era changed was not just the perception of the National Guard as, like, you know, where the bourgeois go and also where, like, the weekend warriors don't do shit go, because they got deployed often, often because of cost-saving mechanisms actually during the Bush years. The Guard and the Reserve were deployed first, and full soldiers were actually kept back, which is crazy to think about, but that – I knew – I knew people who were training to be special forces and were special forces for several years before they saw combat, Well, reservists saw combat for a long time, Um, and some of the Guard did too. Um, As far as their racial makeup, I'd assume it's largely the same. One of the things that you have to deal with is when, when economic times are bad, the military is pretty fucking diversified. When economic times are good, the people in the military are largely children of people in the military. And they also come from very specific reasons like where I'm from. Like I'm from an area that is heavily military because our economy never got any fucking better. Even like in in, in Georgia um, during the downturn, if you weren't in Atlanta or Savannah, like it was not evenly distributed. So if you didn't go to one of those two cities, which most people did, a lot of those other cities have been largely kind of hollowed out by just movements of people first white flight and then everybody flight. Um, you, you went into the military cause it's a way out. So you have, but the only people who did that were people who had a tradition of doing it. Um, and that's, I think true for the guard. So what you're seeing is a lot of like children of military in the military. And children of military and the guard—they're um, badly demoralized. I think. Like I have. Like I know some soldiers. They do not like this. They don't know how to use non-lethals. Like they're not really trained in it. Like I, you know, I as a person who's de- like I've had more non-lethal training than the average soldier has um, myself. And like that was twenty years ago, and that was because of a job I did for nine months. I mean, like <laughs> you know, so. So, yeah, they're pretty badly demoralized. And the people with the non lethal training are the cops, who are the people more likely to be lethal right now. So, like, you can hear me getting excited to think about, like, I'm worried because the composition is very weird. I don't think the military wants, to, I don't think they want this, but I also don't think they want to see their cities burn up in riots. And in revolts that don't have demands, even if I think the military sympathies is probably because the general public sympathies is probably with the protesters. I mean, one of the things I've, oh, I've told people is like cops are probably the most reactionary part of the of the of the lethal arm of the state because they do it for life. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and they're like a vested class in the way that soldiers, unless the, unless they're brass are not. Even, you know, even though we don't, we're not dealing with like, with, um, you know, like a, like a citizen army anymore. Professional soldiers are not generally lifers. So, you know, there's, there's that. Um, yeah, that's
4: all, all I was trying to bring up earlier when I talked about the corporate interest of the police. Um, yeah, that makes sense.
0: It does remind me of like the like what you're talking about there, Derek, like in the Arab Spring that, you know, it was the cops doing all the fighting. The military just stood on the side. Do you think that's going to be the way like that's the way I think it'll most likely go? I just feel like there's not there's not there's not sufficient. I don't know. It's hard to know like with these things, but there doesn't seem to be sufficient support amongst the population for Trump. And there doesn't seem to be sufficient support among the bourgeoisie for Trump. So, it'll be a hell of a maneuver if he, if he anxious to become a dictator.
1: Fucking hell. So, I'm not going to jump to that, but I will say a couple of things to think about right now. I mean, we're still in the context of an election. Generally, generally riots and revolts push push normies to the right. That has not happened yet, but it's beginning to, right. it's beginning to see splits as these things seem more and more under, out of control. Um, another thing... That we have to deal with is the fact that um, the last time this happened our model, you know, this is me doing, instead of doing like ancient socialist history, just U.S. political history our model was the shift from the Lyndon B. Johnson guns and butter bullshit into Nixon land that's the result of the Warrats Wyatt and the the assassination and the days of rage and all that shit Um, but we have farce clown Nixon now where does this go? Where does the reaction to this go? Like, I don't even know. One thing I am seeing is I know a lot of, like, there's a lot of paranoia amongst, like, retired and rural um, former proles, kind of our former workers and and petite bourgeois people who who have some kind of identification with Trump that I have trouble materially explaining. Some of it can be explained in the whole, like, wanting the state to save your failing inefficient business way the way like fascism historically worked but some of it's not explainable by that like i had somebody yelling at me um, uh, well not me personally a friend of mine the other day uh, yesterday when when they made a mild liberal critique of trump about how trump brought this great economy now this person is a meth mouth person from wyoming who lives in wyoming and they never had a great economy their economy has been shit the entire time now trump has made promises to them but he has not delivered he hasn't been able to so you know like th- like that economy's been down they're counter cyclic although right now special they might they might they're not counter cyclic right now because because both the resource sector and the finance sector have crashed at the same time kind of um you know we've seen huge drops in gdp so like and the oil industry crashed for reasons that actually don't have much to do with COVID, although we're accelerated by it. Um, so like where like I don't understand where that base comes from, except that it's desperate. And it has a kind of lizard brain class analysis that sees the cities as better off, even if there's taming port in them, and that's resentment. And anyone who's, you know, I've literally seen people in the in in you know rural areas like where like I said, where I grew up and where a lot of my friends live, um, say stuff like, "Well, of course the vast majority of the working poor in the United in the U.S. supports the Democrats, and they live in cities; they must, or they wouldn't have power." And like that's not even true. Like those people aren't voting for Dems any more than they're voting for Republicans on margin. Um, they're not like forty percent of them are more. Actually, probably more like sixty percent of them aren't voting. Forty percent of the population. Um, so. So, like, that kind of there's – some, there's some other dynamics that are materially distorted. Um, and I just think, like, we keep on talking like, – we, we, like, if we want to do material moral analysis, we can't be super broad-based. Like, studying the history of the 20s, the socialist and the communist both continually fuck up. About what's going to happen by speaking in broad based terms and not seeing what auxiliary classes and auxiliary parts of the state are going to do. And so they're constantly wrong. Correct. They're like, like, uh,
0: just uh, that book, Derek, uh, what is it, Marxism and and Fascism or whatever it is, like reading some of that. They're just, they just fuck it up. They're theories and they underestimate people all over the place. We have in the chat there uh, somebody from, uh from Chile, uh Rene Moncayo. And he's just like saying like don't just be surprised, don't say like Trump's an idiot, he couldn't pull it off. Like he was saying like that, you know, um Pinochet and these guys were fucking dumb asses. And half of the and like most of the Nazis were pretty fucking dumb too. So we can't like uh think that uh oh they're just not smart enough. We can't underestimate these bastards. Like they have like the judiciary, uh, you know, they have the they have the judiciary, don't they? Anyone? Yes and no.
2: Go ahead, Ezri. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Wait, who, so what? Who has the judiciary? Exactly.
0: The well, the Republicans do, like the right-wing right wing Republicans.
2: Uh, the right wing in the Republican Party is different than it used to be like the establishment Republican Party is kind of a different animal frankly the um, the the justices on these issues I don't know there's a reason that, that the American legal system is still like this is because when it comes to issues of the police state the two parties are not that far apart like unfortunately when you see how justices rule and that sort of thing. Um, You can't tell sometimes which party appointed a justice. You know, that was thought of as a, as a good at one point. Now, of course, uh, judicial politics is very, you know, polarized and whatever, but not really around this stuff. There's a silent sort of consensus about these things.
1: I I will say that part of that consensus though, is that the, extrajudicial use of force by the police is a threat to judicial power itself. So they tend to side with the police except when they break procedural process because that really matters. It's the same reason like, what Stalin insisted on giving you a show trial before they shot you in the head. Like it's it, – it, and so that breaking down in an explicit way, in a way that everyone can see is a threat to them – Another thing we have to realize, though, is like Trump has been appointing, yes, very conservative uh, people to judicial appointments, not just at the Supreme level, across the board, but they haven't necessarily been Trumpist. They've been evangelicals, they've been libertarians, they've been law and order people. They've actually, like, he's just been taking lists drawn from different conservative factions and appointing those people as the factions as the think tanks see fit. So he hasn't had a judiciary that is explicitly him, except in some very, very um, obvious cases where the people are just totally incompetent and he just appointed somebody as a lackey. But what's interesting also, and we talked about this in the Brumaire thing that got sidetracked from the Brumaire, is how much of the other apparatus of the state he has allowed to be hollowed out. And so, like... That's a real problem. And that and that and that's been allowed too by Congress not taking its role because it's it's Congress's precarious balance between elect between like they don't want to do anything because doing anything would actually risk their their cash flow. Like that's really a lot of the stuff that's led to this this breakdown in our system. But Again, I don't see it staying here. I mean, the the parliamentary systems are becoming really unstable. Even the CCP is becoming more and more divided against itself. I, I don't understand like what's happening in the circuit of capital, you know, that's allowing all these wild wow factors to become predominant. Except that the only thing, you know, and I don't think we're enough. I don't think this is analogous to the 1920s in a direct way. But that's another time where things were just this off-kilter almost everywhere. Even in the United States, no one saw FDR coming out of nowhere and and like being a class trader. And also, I mean a class trader to the bourgeoisie in a in a in a way that was actually about getting social peace and maintaining it and being somewhat successful at it. Um, so he wasn't a true class trader, but he was more like willing to play that role than anyone thought he was going to. And um, but I don't see any like like the media spectacle of all this has got to be dealt with because like it's very distorting and it has material interest to distort it. and like these are these like adjacent factors that I think we by and large have been blindsided by, um both historically and in this. Okay,
0: I'm going to shift it up, uh, maybe, and uh, if people don't mind, I'm going to turn this into a gambling show. Okay, we got to gamble what the state of affairs is going to be on January 1st, 2021. I want to hear each person's prediction, starting with Kyle.
4: Put me on the spot here, um i will take the fairly safe bet and i think there will be a provisional government provisional martial government uh in place to deal with uh completely out of control COVID outbreak um I, i think that's kind of what i see happening
3: yeah, I don't, I don't disagree, um, except I don't know how... I think in some ways we might have a, some kind of hybrid entity where, you know, uh, Trump or Biden or somebody, there's some element of the official US infrastructure still in place and the stuff that's playing the role of this provisional government is kind of some increasingly strengthened bit of the existing state apparatus, which is assuming some disproportionate function, like the military. Or I mean, maybe probably not I mean, could be could be an increasingly militarized cop uh situation. But roughly, I mean, I think I'm where Kyle is, you know, some some new normal, or oh, as yes, Derek said, I think Derek said, new, 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 new normal um is 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 gonna happen. I mean, I don't know about the timeline, um, and I also don't know how stable that's going to be. Um, but some kind of post crackdown stabilization, however temporary is what I predict.
2: I mean, I think if you want to go with the safe bet, um, I, I have a hard time imagining the uh, government falling. In fact, if there is some kind of deep state coup, it might it might function with some, you know, good old fashioned election manipulation or something. Um, there's there's a deep seated interest in keeping these institutions together it's going to be a long, painful process to tear them apart. I don't see it collapsing that easily, you know, although I'm trying to be optimistic. Um, Let's see. Trump so far has been a paper tiger. I'm not sure... How this is going to play out? If he's really going to follow through um, with these threats, because what he wants to do is hand it over to governors. So for the next um, for the next like week in New York City, something like that, there's going to be curfews relatively early, and for the city that never sleeps, it's something like an eight p.m. curfew or something, right? So a lot of this is going to be decentralized and there will probably I mean okay so my prediction the federal government still stands that's a safe bet baby um house always wins in that respect you have like you you they're going to have like massive probably like massively shit turnout in, in the elections really like I'm not I'm not sure how this actually gets translated into electoral energy, especially around Biden, for instance but but you might have there might I don't know that's the that's the most I can see i I, I have trouble actually seeing business as usual completely fall apart um, but all so all I can see is something that shoes Biden into the most sclerotic and like I don't know you know, anemic and other ways of saying Alzheimer's without saying Alzheimer's since Reagan's second term. Um,
1: so my predictions, one, you're going to get an omnibus police reform bill that's going to bar selling military equipment to the police um, because that's really not hard to do. Um, you will see Democrats being split with national Democrats siding more with the protesters probably than local ones. Um, uh, One of the things that you're going to see is, and I'm literally just had a headline pop on my computer as I was doing this, uh, retired general shocked at Trump's talk of deploying troops within the U.S. And you have um, Tim Kaine Um, saying that the Armed Services Committee is going to be debating the NDAA and saying that they will defund the military if they're employed in a way to be used against civilians with lethal force. So you're going to see a lot of wrangling about this in ways that are going to be hard to predict. Um, I also see, like, we might see the first wave of these riots burn out um, because the pressure on the communities and the division about what to do and how these emergent forums are going to go are going to tear a lot of these people apart, just like they did with Occupy, just like they did with Black Lives Matter. Um, And um, the Black Lives Matter that was much clearer in its demands pretty early on, but when it became professionalized in a formal organization, is more like an NGO. There's a lot of resentment right now that a lot of these Black Lives Matter groups have taken a safer stance to a lot of this, it, but it, it varied from city to city, um, and it's not my comp- It's not my place to comment on where that's going to go. Um, there will probably be right-wing terror attacks. Um, there already kind of are, and the course of the riot, and they're being skipped over. They would have been major deals in any other time. I mean, how many, how many possible Heather Hire events have there been since Friday? And they probably haven't killed anyone, but there's been a ton, both by the police themselves and by random truckers and shit. I mean, they literally released a trucker today who ran a semi through a protesting crowd, and they didn't do anything. So, um, where's the party of order? We're going to see it emerge somewhere. I am not sure. I am not willing to say we're not going to see some batshit stuff because everybody who's predicted normality in the last year has been fucking wrong. And, but I don't know what it looks like. And I agree with Esri in the sense that I highly doubt it will be obvious that, that, um, how, how much things are breaking down and how bad the new normal is. But I mean, we're already looking at like almost every major city in the country having, you know, quite, like we haven't declared martial law, but everyone's under weird ass curfews. And, like, <laughs> um, you know, like things are weird and they're not just weird. I'll
0: tell you what will happen Biden and Trump will get together and they'll form a, a, a government of unity where they'll go around and they'll shoot everybody in the leg. <laughs> the entire nation will get shot in the leg. And that will be our synthesis at the say, end of history.
1: I will say it's been kind of hard to to see how like Biden makes that comment. And I'm literally watching most of the moderate and liberal and even somewhat rightish uh, um, like news services try to spin that as an image of hope and reconciliation while Trump is <sighs> throwing flames in a fire. And I'm like, he's like, we should love each other and shoot protesters in the leg and other people in the leg and not uh, the
4: <laughs> which is insane. That, that comment pissed me off so much. Like, I never liked Joe Biden, but damn.
0: Like, that is the kind mm. of fucking thing that Donald Trump would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no well, joking. It's the type of dumbass fucking shit. We're shooting the, in the same, leg.
2: God, it's that same dementia brain. Although I'm not sure with Trump. I think there might still be a pilot in the seat. Um, You know, it's funny. I think that's the first time we said the word lockdown. You know, we've been using the word lockdown a lot recently with regards to COVID and the shelter-in-place orders, which as far as legislation goes for COVID, you know, the shelter-in-place orders were sort of quaint and libertarian and were really late, you know? Um, Welcome to real lockdown. We were using that word very freely
1: i mean let's talk about these curfews these curfews are stricter at night than anything i've experienced and saw like during this covid crisis including like we never had shelter in place orders we have like we had like strong guidelines and cities doing quasi shelter in place orders um and to be fair, like a lot of the shelter in place orders that were forced by police were disproportionately enforced on people of color anyway. That was one of the, like, if you've seen the radicalization of Benjamin Diction on Twitter, which has been fun to watch. Um, and I mean that literally, I'm, I'm watching a person who was a milquetoast social democratic Bernie bro, like, become like, I don't know, like Huey Newton all of a sudden. Um, and and the first thing that finally broke him was the fact that the COVID restrictions were disproportionately you know, um, enforced on people of color. Um, another thing that we have to look at that I think we have to be real, real, will um, super aware of is China's and Russia and the entire BRICS, they've all gone batshit too. I mean, we've seen both the resurgence of neo-Maoism in China and then also like them saying they're going to um, formally not steer back towards the planned economy because like their profit margins are too low. Cause they're actually in a recession while also risking their diplomatic status for Russia by blaming um, Russia for a COVID reinfection, which may or may not be true, but you still don't fucking say it. And like playing fast and loose with Modi <laughs> with troop movements. I mean like guys, the entire world's a tinderbox right now. And I don't even know what's all going on in the, in the undeveloped world. Like, I would not be surprised if we see some crazy, crazy shit in, um, in like, like, the Middle East in particular where there's already huge numbers of unemployed people even when the economy worldwide was better than now. Like, I just don't think we have any idea how, how things are spiraling because there's a number of, like, you think about systems that have dominoes that collapse, there's a bunch going off at once right now, and we're focusing on one of them.
0: Yeah, like, I think I'll, I'll, you know, I don't, I'm going to go further than most of you think. I think that things will go a lot further than you you think. I'm happy to be the only one on the panel saying that Uh, I think there's quite a high chance of things either going, like, (laughs) to the level of coup assassination uh I think it's quite likely there mightn't be elections I wouldn't be surprised about any of these outcomes I think the fact I think the chances that Trump will manage to quell this and there'll be a normal election I nearly find that the least likely event to come out of it I think there will by by six months time the geopolitical effects of what's happening in the U.S now, will be felt in other places where there are us colonies etc and that the forcing function of that on the politics in america could cause things to go wildly oscillating out of control i i have i i i'm not as uh i'm not as uh Uh, you know, maybe these things take longer, like it took a a few years for the Soviet Union to fall apart, like you know, to really, it took like you know, quite a few years from even 89 to like 90 something before things really fucking went bad Uh, but I think that uh, things aren't going to stabilise I think it's unlikely they'll stabilise to the extent that you guys are saying I
1: refuse to say that it was stabilized. In fact, I actually think fuck. Like, if you know, like, basing off of Grossman's predictions, like I've been on a Hyman Grossman kick with Doug Lane back at Zero Books front, um, we might have a fucking world war before this is all over with. Fuck if I know. Like, like, like that's how frustrated I am. Like, the, um, I don't think.
0: I think you'll have civil wars before you'll have world wars because the nuclear weapons is a forcing function on that. So they're more likely to massacre internally than they are to massacre abroad.
1: I would normally agree with you, except what I'm seeing G do to try to, like, so one of the things that we're going to look at, if the United States completely collapses from its own social weight, you have a hegemon, in, which is also a deep recession, which just lost its major dumping ground for its surplus production. That's a fucking nightmare. From a Marxist standpoint, like, like that's bad. And we I don't know that you have a lot of world historical examples of that. We've never been all in sync. Like the we global globalization has never been so thorough. Like we've all, you know, Marxists have talked about a capitalist fatality for a long time, but like we actually kind of live in one now. <laughs> what what about the chances? That like the Communist Party
0: in China are facing uh, difficulty, and do they actually decide to? So fuck this, lads. We go to state planning and fucking input output tables, and away we go. Fucking socialism through the back door.
2: Yeah, more likely the CPUSA gets its shit together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god, that's a that is a that is a that is. That's not a betting man's option. Th- those are drinking odds. They they are the same odds as like a fucking there. I'll tell you what odds they are. They're the same odds as a as a bottle of whiskey falling over due to purely the effects of Brownian motion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a weird time to be a scientific socialist and look at try to do sector oil analysis. Also, like the more we do this, the more people are going to get mad at us, uh, <laughs> because we're not conforming to their projections on the situation. And like, I don't have anything, man. I like, like you guys can hear it in my voice. I'm literally watching my the activists in my community play out the micro like I, I, I use micro tensions, and people don't think I'm talking about microaggressions. <laughs> <laughs> um, play out the micro tensions of like of like. Trying to emerge with demands and forms and needs that are clear and handle outside infiltration while not also empowering Democrats locally to use outsider your infiltrator, your, you know, narratives to throw us all mm-hmm. the cop like, like just seeing it's in one city and, and like playing that out and what I know about global politics and history, I have no fucking idea and uh yeah we might like i think almost us knowing what's going to happen is as likely as you and i and tom you and i declare ourselves sovereign citizen communist and like we implement the in people and like somehow drive an entire fucking world economy off of it that's about as likely as me knowing what's going to happen
4: well derek i am up for it was right the individual is what drives history (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that I'm up for
0: it. I am definitely up for it. Is there, like...
3: Trump is a spook.
0: Trump is a spook. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Seriously, like, is it possible? Like, this is one thing. Is it possible that this is, like... Like, remember Trump, they released the alien videos? And this is actually... (laughs) The fucking landing has actually begun and we're not actually aware of it. We are blind to the aliens have come.
4: Why, why in the world would the aliens want to get involved in this shit show?
2: <laughs> to find out. Watch Past Tense Parts 1 and 2 from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> to um, find
4: out the counter argument. Recently. Yeah. Read the Ian Banks story about how the aliens come and decide it's not worth it.
2: <laughs> what, why, why do people... Why well, do people we, we didn't play, do that one do, on Swampside recently, so... Why,
0: why, do, why do people play Civ? They just... They're just going into to fuck shit I can shit tell, yeah. You know? I mean, um, seriously, Gabriel Braille is probably, like... We should be fucking doing searches online to find him. Because, shit, he's only about fucking right. three years before it fucking happens, lads. Four years? 2024?
2: Is yeah, this, get your... Get your Starfleet uniforms ready because there needs to be a bridge to the future to it that emerges out of the riots, and only the friends of Gabriel Bell can make that happen.
1: <laughs> you know what? If the Federation emerges, I'm with the fucking Cleons. That's what I
2: got to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Derek, you'd know—you'd yeah, be, know. be such a wharf.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the House of Varn. <laughs> um, we, we, yeah, it's a uh, like. Um, Seriously though, uh, I'm just waiting for Irish unification in 2026. You know, that's what Star Trek said. It's fucking eerily eerily fucking right.
3: (laughs) Irish unification when the rest of the world is on fire, and
0: (laughs) that's it. The Paddies will be drinking Guinness, having a few spuds,
1: fucking. Sleeping well, with their
0: sisters, fucking brilliant. you
1: guys have used everything falling apart, so it might as well be. It's not. It's kind of business as usual for Ireland. It's like the same thing in Eastern Europe, right? Like uh, the yeah,
2: only thing, life. yeah. The only thing Roddenberry got wrong, like Marx, is the timeline. You know, like <laughs> just the dates on the timeline. That's the only problems with his predictions. So,
1: so wait, don't we have like a weird like eugenics war
2: coming and like. It was supposed to be in the nineties. Oh but yeah. <laughs> but in the nineties, it was supposed to be Genetics War, like yeah, 1990s yeah. The in the nineties, in the nineteen nineties, there was supposed to be a race of genetic supermen that uh, took over, in part by kind of commandeering, like, uh, like a uh, anti Sikh sentiments in India and and other shit that were that was that were going to like rise to like make you know some sort of like Khan Union Singh, the villain from the Wrath of Khan, was supposed to have been a dictator in India in the nineteen nineties. It had like a World Council of Supermen that ins- that he brought together in order to dominate the world. But instead, they each had their own fiefdoms and had an enormous world war.
3: And they and the-, the, the Sikhs all went to Canada. That's
2: what happened.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so one of the <laughs> funny things about that is like, well, like. Khan's politics aren't that different from Narendra Modi's, but like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong, Derek. You're not wrong. It's just I, I I doubt that some loser like Modi is genetically altered and ripped like Khan.
0: I just want them to put those little things in people's ears that eat their ears out. Remember those things, and they would like poor "Ah." check (laughs) off. I had that. I had I had an abscess in my ear when I was a kid, and I just watched that, and it was like that. My head like, was under such pressure from this thing. It sounded like an explosion when the abscess burst. And for about a week afterwards, uh, uh, I would wake up in the morning and there would be, a, like, a one-foot square on my pillow that would be dried, hard earwax. Oh, God, Tom. So, uh,
4: that's a pretty good analogy for the situation we're in, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not dry yet, though, Kyle. It's
1: not dry. No, no,
4: but, you know, if we ever wake up from this, there's going to be an earwax situation.
1: So, so to end on a positive note, I will talk about when I had an abscess jaw in South Korea and they gave me a stick and then poked it. Um, and uh, all the goop flew over everything. And then I had to get like five crowns. So like, that's also a pretty good metaphor because after all the poison drains out, everybody's going to have to rebuild a highly broken system, um, which, you know, yes. not ideal. <laughs> like even, but even it's if the communist wig, is
2: a good idea. But it's possible, people.
0: Well, Welcome to Derek Varn's yeah. fucking health show where he travels around the world and gets different serious fucking ailments everywhere he goes and nearly dies in each country. That's my new fucking reality show. Move <laughs> over to these fucking chef shows, Kyle. It'll just be like Varn getting like fucking elephantitis in Uganda. <laughs> fucking. Uh,
2: yeah. You just turn into. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean, I think
0: kind of it's in Mexico, uh, so yeah. Oh dear! Right, everybody. I think we'll we'll go offline. It's fucking half past one here in the morning. Um, thanks everybody. We had a high of I think sixty one people listening. That's definitely the yeah. highest I think we've had uh, yeah. before. Emancipation Network.
2: Hi. Yeah,
0: I can't possibly go through the chat because way too many weirdos in there to give us all a shout out but thanks anyway for listening and i'll I'll see if i can edit this or i might just throw it up as it is uh i, I feel like we should do this like every like every two days for the next fucking six months uh, and that'll be all of our episodes that'll be it like seriously uh, every,
1: that's a resounding yes from kyle there I do it like every two weeks with uh with with Doug and every time we say something it's like and what could happen next? And literally the next day it's like, oh now they're riots. Or oh now there's a super bug. oh, do you remember when we were talking about how the worst thing we had to deal with was Bernie losing? Or the the (laughs) fires? Seriously.
0: (laughs) Imagine (laughs) like imagine they made Bernie VP and they said uh they said they'd do healthcare. (laughs)
4: Military provisional government under Bernie. <laughs> Civilian representative.
2: Uh, yeah. No, no. yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know what they say eight, about omelets.
4: <laughs> the 18th premier
0: of of Bernie Sanders, that's like that's even less likely than the 18th premier of Joe Biden at this stage. It's fucking yeah. less likely.
4: Yeah, no. Uh, no, no kidding.
0: Like, literally, you may have got that right, Kyle. It will be the 18th premiere of Joe Biden. Uh,
4: Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. It might happen, it might happen. I don't think it's
2: I'm I'm waiting. Like, like, Sanders had this really interesting period before he quit the campaign and endorsed Biden, and while the pandemic was going on, that he sort of tried to be like a, just for a very brief period, a sort of, public response figure of, you know, what people should do about COVID instead, and you know, what would a socialist response be on like, an, uh, on like a national level? It would be very interesting if he took that on at all instead of being, you know, like, I don't know, instead of lining up behind Biden.
4: Yeah, where's the value
3: in that? Or the as the commenter has mentioned, Hillary Clinton.
2: Emerges again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, finally, Raya. history. History Raya. on a horseback Raya. in a pantsuit.
3: Riot's last yes. destruction is what, is what finally causes <laughs> the glass oh.
2: to break. Oh, man.
0: That's like, I think we are fucking in the end times. The nuclear war is happening if Hillary becomes a fucking president. I think, like, one of the generals will get hold of the fucking the launch keys and he, he'll. He'll launch a nuclear weapons on America itself. That's fucking. That's our <laughs> final end game. Okay. Good everybody. night, America.
1: Good night, okay. the world. <laughs> oh
0: fuck. Pros- See Christian you later.
2: Pros- Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, we'll do this.